You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. I need your help. Uh, I'll, I'll share with you a story in just a second. Um, in, in 1970, there was a movie called uh, Love Story that uh, came out. It, it features a line that has kind of gone down in history. We hear it in all kinds of different movies. Uh, I'm going to start it for you, and I want you to finish it if you can. Go ahead and shout it out. From that movie, this line was said, love means... That's right. <laughs> love means never having to say you're sorry. You know, it's one of those things that has kind of gone on. It's quoted by all kinds of other movies. It's found itself worked into all kinds of different memes. Uh, people have gone on to say that is probably one of the stupidest things uh, that you could say. In fact, what's funny is two years later, in 1972, there was a movie called What's Up, Doc? that featured Barbara Streisand as well as the star from that movie, Love Story. And at one point, at the end of the movie, what ends up happening is he turns around her in the plane, says, I'm sorry. She looks at him and says, love means never having to say you're sorry. And he bats his eyes, or she bats his eyes. And after one moment, he says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? <laughs> but, you know, you think about it. I mean, could you imagine if you and I were to walk around saying things like that? I mean, what does that mean anyway to say that love means never having to say you're sorry? Does it mean that two people who are in love would never hurt each other, and so they wouldn't have to apologize? Does it mean that when you're truly in love that you never really ever need to apologize to one another? And think about it, what kind of hubris does someone have to have to walk around through life and think, I don't ever need to apologize to anyone else? I mean, could you imagine in the story that I've shared with you over the past couple of weeks, that story of pain and hurt that we had experienced in relationship, could you imagine if when we did finally talk and when we saw God heal that relationship, if one of us had said to the other, love means never having to say you're sorry. You know, in many ways, what you could say is that idea is really the antithesis to the gospel itself. Could you imagine if we go to God and we say, God, I am so sorry, and God were to look at us and say, my love means never having to say you're sorry, right? I mean, what that would do is we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need the cross. We wouldn't need redemption. In fact, what we find is that in life, what we do need to do is to apologize and to say, I am sorry. That's what we're going to be talking about together today. You know, we're going to be asking that question of how are we being called? Who are we being called? The people in our lives that we are being called to apologize to those to whom we have hurt. You know, if you're just joining us today, we've actually been in a sermon series that has us looking together at this idea of how do we live together in harmony? 
In many ways, it's a whole sermon series on how do you and I handle the conflict that we can sometimes experience in relationships. Now, we've said as we talk about it, it's not that we're experiencing a disunity together as a church, and so we need to remind ourselves to bind us together. We need to say, Lord, no, you need to keep uh, healing those things that are hurting us. It's not saying that about our church at all. Instead, what it's saying is how do we keep being those people who are living together in harmony? How do we deal with one another as a church? Because we know so many people who have been hurt by the church and burned by the church for us to be able to say, how do we live together as a church body? And then the things that we do here as we live together in harmony, how does that affect the way in which we operate in the world? And so we've looked at how do we handle fear and how do we handle that idea to fight and when we want to flee And over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about what does it mean for us to be a people of forgiveness. And we started last week by talking about how this idea of forgiveness fosters freedom. How we need to forgive the people who have hurt us. So often we want to say, I don't want to forgive the people who have hurt me. And what we do is we end up holding anger and bitterness in our hearts against others. But what did we say last week? That that anger and bitterness does not harm other people. That in the end, it ends up hurting yourself. It hurts the relationship that you have with God, and it hurts the way in which you live in the world. And so we spent some time talking about how do we first release that person, and how do we say, I forgive you, even if they don't deserve it, even if they don't earn it. Forgiveness fosters freedom. Well, today, we're going to look at the other side of that, and to say, how do we need to apologize to those whom we have hurt. And if last week we said that forgiveness fosters freedom, this week what I want us to remember is that forgiveness, reconciliation, repentance leads to restored relationships. When when you ask for forgiveness, when you repent, when you seek to bring healing, this is where relationships get restored. Now, I've shared with you some personal stories over the past couple weeks, and I thought today I would share at least one more. But I do it as a way of setting an example for us recognizing those areas in our lives where we have hurt others. So I'm going to share with you a story of which I am deeply embarrassed. Um, A story where, you know, of course, my fear would be that you are going to think far less of me. But I hope you see where the healing and the forgiveness come about. You know, I am grateful to have grown up in a home with parents who love me, parents who care about me, parents who have provided for me. Um, I did not grow up in a wealthy family, by any stretch of the imagination, but I could easily say that there is nothing that I could have wanted for in life. Um, I've joked often about the fact that my dad is a barber, right? And I blame him. At one point, I've said that I used to have such thick hair that my dad would have to use thinning shears on my head. 
And, and so now I blame him and say, you thinned it out a little bit too much, Dad, right? But you know, as a barber, a lot of what he did, especially in those days, some 30 years ago, was in cash. And my dad would oftentimes come home with this cash bag at the end of uh, a day or end of a week. And at some point, as a kid, I, I found it. And I took $5 or $10 or 20 It became a sin pattern. Now, of course, if, if you're a smart person, and my dad is, when you make the count and then you go to the bank and it's different from what you counted, you're going to know something's missing, right? At one point, they basically set a trap. And they called me on it. He counted it. It wasn't right. And, of course, my heart was, I, I wanted to deny it. Say, no, no, no. I, I thought maybe I can blame my sisters. But I couldn't. I had done it. And I needed to confess. And I needed to repent. Now, some of you would sit there and say, well, of course you need to repent. You got caught. <laughs> but you know what? While there was that immediate repentance, there was a long-term act of contrition, of recognizing that I had deeply wounded my family, which, by the way, if I had asked my dad for it, he would have given it to me. But I had deeply wounded my parents and the relationship that I had with them. I had broken trust, and that trust was going to take time to be restored again. And so over time, I, I had to continue to apologize for that woundedness that I had caused it to my own father. And in some strange way, I am grateful. Because imagine if that sin pattern had followed me for 30 years to the type of person that it would lead me to today. But that's what we're going to be talking about together today. H how do we apologize to the people in our lives whom we have hurt, the people who we have wounded? And what I pray is that God is going to take the things that we talk about today to begin to bring restoration to our lives, to bring restoration to our relationships. Now, did, did the restoration with my dad happen immediately? Of course not, right? Trust had been broken. There, there needed to be something that had, this was going to take time to rebuild that trust. And while I'm, I'm ashamed and embarrassed to admit this sin before you? What I believe is that if we were to sit here today, all of us would probably have something that we would share. A woundedness that we had caused someone else. 
It, it could be something that has taken place with your spouse where you have hurt them or wounded them in some way. It could be something that's happening with your children and something that has been said or something that has been done. It could be something that's happening at work where maybe you're doing things at work or not giving your best or taking from your boss in some way. You know, whatever that is in your life for us to think about who are the people who we need to go and apologize to for the things that we have done wrong. Now, here's what I want to be careful. See, because some of us this morning would sit here and we might say, boy, you know, I wish so-and-so was here today to hear this. Be so great for them to hear a message like this. But remember, this is not about other people and what they need to hear. And maybe they do. But ultimately, what does God want to say to you? What does God want to speak to you about this? Last week, I had you write down in your bulletin somewhere, make a mental note of it, wherever this is, to write down someone, the name of someone that you need to forgive. Somebody that has hurt you in some way, but you need to forgive them from your heart. And, and maybe this week, you've had a chance to do that, where you've been able to experience a level of freedom in that. But today, I want you to do it again. Maybe there's a spot in your notes. Maybe you need to make a mental note of it. Who is someone in your life who you hurt? And where you need to reach out and apologize to them. Now, I know that this is going to be hard. But I think what we find is how incredibly important this is for the relationship that we have with God and the relationship that we have with one another. In fact, Scripture says that it is so important that Jesus shares this story in Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you have said something or done something, if you say racha, right, or you call somebody an idiot and you realize that you have done that, he says, what do you need to do? You need to apologize. He says this in verses 23 to 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now remember, Worship is a big deal, right? This is an important thing that this man is doing. He has come before God. He is offering his gift before the Lord, this sacrifice he is giving to God. And what Jesus is saying is, look, in that moment, as big a deal as worship is, if you know that you have hurt someone else or you are at odds with someone else, I want you to leave your gift there to go and be reconciled and then come back and offer your gift. You would think Jesus would say, well, get right with God, finish that work that you're doing here with God in worship, and then go and be reconciled. But Jesus doesn't say that. He says, this is so important. You need to go and be reconciled to that person first. Otherwise, it's like you're faking it with God, right? Oh, God, I'm okay with you, right? I've got forgiveness with you, but I don't have this with the people that are around me. And so this morning, that name that you wrote down, if at some point today, God is putting it on your heart, even during this worship service, to get up and to go apologize to someone you've hurt, I want you to feel free to go and do it. 
thing is, not a single one of you is even going to get up to use the restroom this morning, right? Because <laughs> you're going to be afraid of what everybody else is going to be thinking. But here's the thing. Who cares, right? It's not about what anybody else thinks. It's about you knowing that you need to do what's right in the eyes of God and to go and to apologize to the people you've hurt. And so if God is calling you to do that today, well, thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit has impressed that upon you if you feel that you need to go and do that. Now, to help us with this story today, we're going to be using a a biblical passage that we, I'd said last week, I wanted to use it last week's message as well as this week's, but kind of ran out of time. So we're going to tie some of those themes together this morning. It is a story that many of you are going to be familiar with. It comes from Luke chapter 15. It is the story of the prodigal son. It was after reading that that I thought I'm going to share this story from my own life with you. And what I pray is that as we study God's word together today, God is going to reveal something new to you about a passage that many of us may be well familiar with. If you've got your Bibles handy, I want to encourage you to open them up to Luke 15. We're going to be beginning at the 11th verse, of course. You're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. Notice what it says. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, as many of us know, in those days, for a son to ask the father for his inheritance before his father was dead is akin to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, why don't you just go ahead and give me my share of the estate, my share of the inheritance right now? You know, if any one of our kids were to come to us and say, you know, I'd like my estate right now, I think many of us would be equally offended by that. We might be shocked. We might be a little bit hurt. Now, what's amazing about this story is how we see the incredible love and grace of the Father, even here at the beginning of the story. Because notice, the Father doesn't say, you know what, son? Go and get your own job. You know? You're so ungrateful. Notice, what does the Father do? He divides his inheritance and he gives it to his son. And notice, what does his son do with it? You get to verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So he gathered up his inheritance, he gathered up his things, and he moved to Vegas. He spent it on wine, he spent it on women, he spent it on wild living. He wasted it all away. And by the way, I don't want you to miss out on a deeper spiritual point here. Remember, a a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So there's always more that's going on here than what you might just see in a story. Notice, the farther away this son got physically and spiritually from his father, the more trouble he got himself into. And if you think about it from a spiritual perspective, the farther you and I get away from God spiritually as well as relationally, the easier it is for us to get ourselves into trouble. And notice what happened. What does verse 14 and 16 say? 
After he had spent everything, there was a famine in the land, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here's this young man. He's gone out. He's blown his entire inheritance on wild living, and he has absolutely nothing left. Again, think about it from a spiritual perspective. When he was close to the father, he had everything. But now that he's far from the father, he's living in a spiritual wasteland, in a famine, physically as well as spiritually. And so what does he do? He hires himself out to the locals in order to feed pigs. Now, you have to understand that for a Jewish person, there is all kinds of indignity here. Not only is he a Jewish person who has lost everything, who has now hired himself out to a Gentile, but it's even worse because not only is he hiring himself out to a Gentile, but now he's actually feeding pigs, an unclean animal. But imagine even this, as if Hanging out in a foreign country with pigs wasn't bad enough. He comes to the place where he's willing to eat pig slop. You know, you grew up around a farm. Think about the things, the nasty things that you give to pigs. The pods that they would be fed with. I mean, this guy is willing to say, I'm willing to even eat pig slop. I mean, you want to talk about nastiness and lowliness. That's him. Now, the cynical side of us might say, well, serves him right. He got what he deserved, right? He basically cursed his father, took his money, and left. But how many of us have ever made a choice that we later regret? How many of us have ever run away from what we know is good and right and we attach ourselves to the sinful things of the world, to the broken things of the world? And instead of living as sons and daughters of the Father, we attach ourselves to the things that are broken. We know what it's like to conform to the pattern of this world and not to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that distance that happens in the relationship that we have with God gets us into trouble. But in that, and in this story, we also see the pattern by which forgiveness takes place. And so if you're following along this morning and you want to take some notes, this is, if you want to see restoration happening in your relationships, this is what you need to do. First of all, you need to get fed up. All right? You've got to get fed up. Fed up with the way you're living. Fed up with the sin pattern that's in your life. You have to get fed up with hurting others. You've got to come to your senses and say, I'm not going to live this way anymore. But do you know what gets in the way of that? Pride. Pride gets in the way. 
Sometimes we have a tendency to say, you know, they deserved what I said to them. If they hadn't done that to me, I would have never done this to them. And so what we do in our pride is we convince ourselves that it's them, that it's not really us. Or what we do is we make a list of percentages. Well, they're 90% wrong, and I'm only 10% wrong. And so because they're more wrong, I don't need to apologize, right? You might even get down like, well, they're like 51% wrong, and I'm 49% wrong. So you know what? They're more in the wrong than I am. They need to apologize to me, right? So what we do is, in our pride, we try to come up with all of these reasons and excuses why we don't ask for forgiveness. But notice... That's not what the prodigal son does. Because the, this doesn't tell us maybe something was happening at home. Maybe something was happening in the relationship that he had with his dad. Maybe something was happening in the relationship that we had with his brother. And so he's like, that is why I did what I did. It doesn't say that. We don't know. But what we do know is that he finally gets fed up. And notice, by the way, what does it say in verse 17? It says, when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He looked at his life and he said, I'm tired of the way I'm living. He said, I am thirsty for something more. See, for those of you who have ever struggled with an addiction or a sin pattern in your life, what happens, you come to your senses and you say, I am hungry and thirsty for something more, right? If you are struggling in your marriage, you got to get fed up with it and say, you know what? I need to do something about it, right? If, if you're struggling in the relationship that you have with your children, you got to come to the place where you're fed up with it and say, okay, I've got to do something about it. You're fed up with your finances. Like, okay, I'm fed up. I've got to do something about it. You understand this. You have to get to the place where you come to your senses and say, this is not the way that I'm supposed to be living. And you do something about it. And what happens when you get fed up with the way things are, then you start to seek better things. And you say, ah, here's a different way that I can move forward. See, what happens is when we get fed up from the sin patterns, the way things are, what we do is when we get fed up and we give those things to God, God is going to lead us out of captivity. So you get fed up. But notice, too, you have to own up. So that's the second thing. You get fed up, but then you have to own up. You've got to own up for your own sin. You can't make excuses, right? And this is such an easy pattern for us to fall into, right? Oh, honey, you weren't meeting my needs, and so I fell into the arms of someone else, right? Oh, honey, you weren't providing for me financially, and so I thought I would just go and do this and spend my money in this way. You weren't spending it on me, so I'd spend it on myself, right? I mean, think of all of the different things that we can try to say. We blame others for the choices that we make instead of taking responsibility for them, right? You don't see the son who, by the way, could have said, Dad, if only you didn't spend so much time at work and had focused more on me, then I wouldn't have done this because I was angry at what you had did. Dad, you focused on my other brother and you didn't focus enough on me and so in my anger I did this to you. No, he simply owned 
up for his sin. And notice what happens in verses 18 to 19. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, if you want to experience more unity in your relationships, you have to own up to the things that you have done, and then you have to fess up to those areas where you have fallen short. If you have said something or done something in the relationship that you have with your wife, you need to fess up to that. If you've done something in the relationship that you have with your children and there's a brokenness that you're experiencing there, you own up to that and you go to them. You fess up to it. If you're struggling at work, you need to fess up. Hey, are you stealing from your boss in some way? Are you not giving your best to your clients or to your employees? You know, those areas where you are falling short where you are not giving your best, then you need to fess up to that. And remember, again, a parable, earthly story, heavenly meaning. This is not just about earthly relationships. This is also about our relationship with God. And so if you are struggling in the relationship that you have with God the Father, you need to fess up to those areas where you are falling short. You need to come to the place in your life where you say, God, it's me. And I'm going to say something. It may seem a little bit strange, a little bit out of character, but I want you to know this. You are as close to God as you choose to be. See, we would say it's God who calls us, right? God calls us into relationship with him. We respond to God's call but when you start living that out, you are as close to God as you choose to be, right? You know, God, where are you? God, you don't seem to be answering my prayers. God, you know, I, I just keep calling out to you and you're not doing it in my time. And, and so what ends up happening is in this relationship that we have with God, who moved? It's us. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's we, we end up turning and going our own ways. And so for us, when it comes to the relationship with God, we have to fess up, own up to the areas where if you feel spiritually dry, why? Do you need to spend more time in prayer? Do you need to spend more time reading God's word? Do you need to spend more time together in worship or in small groups? Where, where are those areas in your relationship with God where you feel that there is a dryness? Again, it's about you saying, okay, Lord, I know I want to get back on track with you. And maybe one of the reasons why God seems so distant is because there is a sin pattern that is in your life. And because of that sin pattern, you're not able to see God clearly. Or maybe there is an idol that is in your life. And an idol is anything that we put above God. It could be finances. It could be pleasure. It could be, you know, our work. It could, I mean, it could be good things even like family. Whatever it is, anything that we put above God has become an idol. And idols block our view in our relationship with God, and we have to own up to that. But then notice, we offer up. Right? We get fed up, 
And then what do we have to do? We own up, and then we offer up. You, you, you offer up your specific actions, your specific things that you have done. You don't make excuses. You simply seek forgiveness. And this is what the prodigal son does, right? The, the, what he has been rehearsing in verses 19 to 20 when he goes before his father, he basically recounts that. He says, God, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? He humbled himself and he said, I am even willing to work as one of your servants. Now look, when, when you own up and you apologize to, to the person that you have hurt, what do we know? It's, it's going to be up to the other person to decide what to do with it, right? It may lead to forgiveness and to reconciliation. And if that happens, you celebrate. You say, God, I thank you that you've restored something that's broken. But if you apologize and they don't receive it, then what you need to know is that you have done everything that is required of you. You have asked for forgiveness from God. You have gone to that person and asked for forgiveness. And if they choose not to receive that, know that at least you've done everything that God asks of you. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But that's what we do. We need to offer up those areas where we are broken and apologize and say, I'm sorry. Notice, fourth, we have to change our behavior. Change your behavior. By the way, the word here is repent. Repent literally means to turn, right? To run in the opposite direction. We admit that we have made mistakes, and then we do whatever was necessary in order to change our behavior. The son was willing to do that. Father, I'm sorry for hurting you. Make me like one of your servants. For those of you who've ever been a part of, of AA groups, we know what, you know what this is like, right? It's this idea of, okay, I, I know that this is what I have done, and they would say, change your people, places, and things, right? If you're addicted to something, change the people you're hanging out with, you know, the, the places where you're going, the things that you're surrounding yourself with. You change your behavior. And what do you do? You get involved in other things instead, you take those things that you were doing and you fill them with something else. And what we're saying is fill them with small group, fill them with scripture, fill them with worship, fill them with godly things. Have other people around you who are going to hold you accountable. You apologize, but then you also need to change your behavior. Now, before we leave this behind, I would be remiss if I did not talk about some other reactions and responses that we see in this story. Because here's what we know is, as much as I was saying last week, how when we forgive those who have hurt us, we could also use this story as well. For forgiving those who hurt us, as well as going and apologizing to those whom we have hurt. And I want you to notice in this story the different reactions to seeking forgiveness. So what are some of the different reactions to forgiveness that we see on this in this story? On the one hand, we see the reaction of the father. right? We see the way in which he responded, how he had already 
forgiven his son from his heart. And because he had forgiven his son, what was he able to do? Notice what verses 20 to 24 say. It says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? What is recited before. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Notice, what did the father do? He didn't say to his son, hey, kiddo, you wanted me dead, remember? You wanted my inheritance. No way, right? From a long distance off, he saw his son. And you know, in that culture in that day, he did a very undignified thing. He, he pulled up his cloak, right, his robe, and he ran to his son. No, as the son, he should show contrition, come before the father. No, notice, before the son even got to him, he had forgiven his son, and as a result, he was able to humiliate himself and go to his son. It would have been shocking for Jesus' audience of the day. And what does he do? He says, let's throw a party, for what's been lost has now been found. See, what happens is, when you and I forgive those who have hurt us and then, like the Son, come before the Father and say, I am sorry for what I have done, it leads to reconciliation. And it potentially leads to restored relationships. It leads to more harmony in our relationships. It leads to more joy in our relationships. And I believe that this is the kind of life that God is pursuing us to have. Because if we don't, guess what happens? We miss out on God's best. You know who missed out on the best? He was in the presence of the Father, but it was the other son. He missed out on the better life that the father wanted for him. In his frustration, he, he scolded his father for what he had done. And so, as we close this story, I, I want you to do, take a moment and to reflect. If you looked at this story, which one are you? Are you the prodigal son who needs to ask for forgiveness? Are you the father who needs to give to forgiveness to someone? You need to forgive the people who have hurt you. Or are you the other brother, the one who does not want to offer forgiveness? I want you to reflect on which one of those people you think you are and then to think about, God, what are the changes that you are calling me to make to be a person who understands because I have been forgiven by you, I need to offer that forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness from those whom I have hurt. And I pray that today God is going to be leading you to take that name, that whoever it is that God has been putting on your heart to go and to reach out to them to say, I am so sorry. 
for the way in which I have hurt you. And I pray that God is going to bring about reconciliation and restoration in your relationships so that we can together be a people of harmony. You know, I, I thought it would be helpful, you know, if, if you feel like you need more help with any of these things and you feel like resources would be a benefit to you, you see a slide here behind me. I want you to see some of the different resources from Tim Keller's forgiveness to Francis Chan's until unity to other things like how we tame the tongue. Elders, by the way, this is our next book we're going to be reading together. So, uh, But think about it, all the different things that maybe if you feel like here are some areas where I could just use some help in navigating some of these relationships. I'm, I'm praying that as some of these resources have been a benefit to me, as I've been preparing for this sermon series, uh, I would pray that some of these resources would be a benefit to you as well. But beloved people, my prayer for us is that we would be a people who are living together in harmony because we are apologizing to those who have hurt, because we are finding freedom in the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ to offer forgiveness to those who have hurt us and that together we would be able to experience harmony in our relationships. And it's all possible because of the harmony that has been created for us by Jesus Christ. And so friends, as we prepare to come to the table today, would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are a God of compassion and of forgiveness. That though we may have sinned against you, as we were talking about last week, maybe five times, ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times, more times than we could count, God, you are a God of grace and forgiveness. And you show that compassion to us time and time again. But Lord, what we ask is that today would be a day when we begin to make that change. When we say, Lord, I know that I have hurt others. And ultimately, Lord, when I sin, I sin against you. Because it's against you that I've sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So, Lord, you would be just when you judge. But, Lord, that you are a forgiving God. And how you call us, then, to be a people who seek forgiveness with you and then forgiveness with others. And, Lord, what we would pray is that the model that we have in Jesus Christ how he has restored the relationship that we have with you would be the model that we take into all of our relationships. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us and have a blessed day.